0: Hello and welcome to ASIcast number 167. We're now in the run up to our conference in Nice this November, and I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast one of the speakers at our audio and radio conference, Matt Deegan, who is Director of Folder Media and Podcast Discovery. So, welcome, Matt. Hello, Richard. Now, very attentive listeners may recall that Matt hosted ASIcast number 124 when he interviewed. Matt Hill, a radio player about developments in in in-car audio. This time, Matt gets to be the interviewee himself. So he's a well-known figure in UK radio to the extent he was recently made a fellow of the Royal Radio Academy. And in Nice, he'll be talking about how to launch podcasts in an extremely crowded marketplace. Now, talking of the sheer volume of podcasts out there, Matt, in a recent blog, you looked at the recently launched Edison podcast, Ranker, in the UK that attempted for the first time to do some sort of podcast chart, and you highlighted some of the challenges that attempts to put those charts together face. What do you think are the specific issues in attempting to measure or compare the audience to different podcasts?
1: Uh, it's interesting so there's there's a few different ways that uh, around the world people measure podcasts clearly you know uh, if you're a podcast owner you know how many downloads you got from your from your hosting company uh, the big issue is that people don't tend to share that information um well, particularly in the UK they don't share that information around the world there are podcast rankers where groups together have um uh, put their put sort of agreed to share data, particularly in the Nordics, in Australia, in America. But even those podcast rankers are um, incomplete because not everybody plays. Uh, so you might be number one in a ranker, but a big operator might not be involved. Um, then what you have uh, is what Edison have done in the UK and they've been previously doing in the US, is they've done their own surveys. So basically, they've asked um, hundreds uh, of or thousands of podcast listeners, what have you listened to in the last week? Um, And uh, use that to create a ranker, which is what has just been released uh, in the in the UK. Uh, Now that's not bad because it kind of everybody's involved, whether they want to be or not. And um, looking at the data that's come through, it seems pretty good. Um, the The trouble the trouble with those uh, survey based Uh, systems though is that because podcasting has a really long tail uh, you need a very large sample size to kind of capture audience and whilst big shows of course are are at one end it drops off pretty quickly uh, so it can be difficult to capture uh, the right mix of of listeners to get the the right sort of list.
0: I guess that you highlight one of the challenges is that a download does not always mean a play I mean I Subscribe to about 30 podcasts but a number of them i'll just download see if i'm interested in. if not move on to the next one so it's how it's a very similar challenge that tv has has which is how do you measure the the long tail of content when allegedly a million podcasts were launched in the pandemic and i don't know how many of them survived the pandemic but certainly people had time on their hands and certainly with that sheer volume of podcasts out there you're going to be talking about podcast discovery so how can podcasts without giving away your whole uh, whole conference speech but perhaps a few framing thoughts on how how can podcasts best launch themselves into what is an incredibly crowded marketplace often with hardly any marketing budget
1: yeah i mean i think the the challenge for podcasts is the same challenge that any content companies have about driving awareness and then trial. Um, a lot of the the things that have worked in marketing for the last fifty years are as equally as applicable to podcasting as they are to to other products. Uh, and I think you have to start with your audience. You know, where are your audience? Where do they live? Where do they live digitally? Where do they live physically? Uh, and how do you want? How are you able to reach them? And building a plan uh, which identifies those people and, and how you can go after them. Uh, I think there's some kind of podcast specific things like the best way to reach a podcast listener is on another podcast. Uh, at least you know that if you're talking to somebody through a podcast, um, Uh, they're a podcast listener. They're available to listen to your show. There's no wastage uh, with that. And so podcast advertising, um, live read talk-ups, guest swaps, those sorts of things can be a very useful way to establish some awareness about your podcast um, with potential listeners. Obviously, social and video is important uh, for everybody and particularly in, in podcasting. And You've got the big uh, tech companies, so TikTok and YouTube having a big push into podcasting this year. Uh, YouTube now is a uh, YouTube music is a way to listen to podcasts. So is your show there, even just the audio show before you get into video versions of shows? And then also on TikTok, uh, video clips have been very good for driving awareness of shows and they're about to introduce the ability for you to click through from TikTok videos to listen to to full episodes. So having a video strategy and a social strategy is uh, very important. Um, we often think... Uh, you know, it's that, it's that age-old marketing thing of someone's got to hear about your your product from seven or eight different sources before they then kind of go for a trial. And that's one of our jobs at Podcast Discovery is to make those things happen. So that might be social media and video, that might be traditional PR, that might be pay for advertising, that might be guest swaps. Uh, and we just work to ensure that listeners are able uh, to hear about your show and to then uh, encourage them to sample it.
0: I guess another key area is distribution. I mean, you mentioned earlier on in the rank, the podcast rank as whether some platforms pl- play ball or not, because typically podcasts are on more than one platform. But I know that some there's been some moves by some companies like the BBC to try and make content exclusive to their platform. I'm guessing the... The main objective being that by doing that, you do know who's downloading your podcast and can build a direct relationship with them. On the other hand, of course, you are forcing people to be in different apps for different podcasts and might get forgotten if they're not in your particular app. What what, what, what sort of advice would you give your, your clients around? Is it best to be um, completely pat- platform neutral available everywhere or... Is, are there advantages in cultivating a, a data rich relationship, I guess you call it, on a particular platform?
1: I mean, it really depends what your objectives are. Um, if your objectives are to reach the largest number of listeners, maybe you're in an ad funded operation, then uh, being on every platform is very important. Um, if you're about driving uh, consumption of your app uh, and Uh, bringing users to that app, then having a kind of walled garden strategy is is probably a good idea. If you see the BBC do this with some of their shows, Spotify historically had a lot of originals, which only existed in Spotify, Uh, but they're now moving to being uh, more of an advertising platform. So you've started to see a lot more of their shows now available for everybody on the sort of open podcast networks. So it sort of depends uh, really what what you want to achieve. Um, I think, for the BBC, there's a, a lot of discussion from them in radio and television about them wanting to know all of the data about all of their consumers. Uh, and that's why they don't want their their content sort of in as many third-party platforms as they used to. I'm not sure they entirely agree with that or whether uh, it's entirely necessary for the reasons they state. Um, you know, if you've got data from 10 or 15% of your audience at scale, adding another 30, 40, 50, 70, 80% is not going to change a lot about what you know about those audiences, Uh, I think, if I'm being brutal about it. I think the true reason they want is they want people to be on BBC Sounds and having BBC Sounds be a successful platform uh, is important internally. I I think it's probably more about their challenges inside the corporation rather than than for for listeners um there is also a thing about attribution and particularly public broadcasters over europe have this that if their shows are available in in apple or spotify i think some of their research has shown that uh listeners don't recognize where that materials come from and that it's been made for by the bbc or um uh, dr or you know uh radio france or something like that so that they face they kind of face their own challenges but i think it's really about we and what the objectives of those of those operators are
0: mm. now in the joint session in nice where we're joined at the end of the radio and audio day by the uh video and tv delegates we're going to be talking about amongst other topics the opportunities that ai offered particularly generative ai around the generation of content which is I know something you've also been talking about recently on your blog which we'll put a link to the blog in the the show notes um, and also your weekly newsletter I mean it was quite interesting you gave a very good example of how AI was being already used in audio production and it wasn't necessarily in the the huge global companies it was in sort of more in community radio can you give us an example of that and how whether you think it's Perhaps audio is ahead of the curve in AI compared to video because it's arguably easier to do in audio than it is for a full video production.
1: I think like lots of places, small organizations sometimes have the freedom to experiment with this stuff uh, a little quicker or um, aren't so concerned about uh, rules internally or, you know, what they should be doing as a corporation. So some community radio stations in the UK have been uh, using AI voices to read their news bulletins. And it's sort of interesting, community radio tends to be volunteer-led. They don't always have great voices to read the news. They have more people kind of sort of scripting the news. Um, And so they're using a system which brings together kind of news feeds they just have their own news feeds they're not using third parties and then they've um sampled the voice of one of their news readers uh and then the ai voice reads out the news it's pretty good it sounds like it sounds pretty good i, I played it to my wife i didn't tell her what she was listening to and she she couldn't sort of tell off the cuff that it was a you know an ai voice uh until we pointed it out afterwards and um uh i think some of the ai voices are getting excellent and i've been playing uh, with a few uh, and i think they could, they can do a certain job i think what where we'll see it for for bigger radio groups is probably for things around personalization around localization so you might get a local presenter or a network national presenter doing a local weather bulletin. Uh, but that's actually driven by an AI version of them rather than uh, themselves having to pre-record it. You might see that for travel news, for things like that. For sort of essential information, I, I don't see it like replacing the quality of the DJ. Uh, Those Spotify are experimenting with their AI, they have an AI DJ you can, you can listen to that back announces songs. Um, and again, that sort of... Um, it's useful information but it's not necessarily entertainment and i think that's probably the the difference initially with some of this some of this stuff um uh, where that will go i don't know i i, I don't see it particularly replacing presenters but uh, you know, presenters as you hear on radio 1 or capital or, or things like that but for spin-off services for more bespoke services for personalization for localization um i think ai is very usable now and obviously we'll only get get sort of even better of course all the video stuff's looking good too uh now though i still think it's an element of sort of uncanny valley and sort of the cheaper end of video production um you can see kind of people starting to use it it's not quite going to replace anton deck yet uh, on the telly uh so um but yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity with it, and uh, and actually, it can be quite enhancing. There's always, there's always quite a lot of worry, I think, about AI taking people's jobs. There's always the opportunity, you know, always the opportunity of that course. But I think um, actually, a lot of this stuff can be potentially quite additive and uh, improve some of the uh, uh, options for for radio stations.
0: I guess particularly when presenters get later in their careers and perhaps. Uh more in need of rest. You could almost imagine someone like Stephen Fry just create licensing his voice, selling it to a production company and sitting back and relaxing on his sofa whilst the the royalties roll in. But often with this sort of technology, it's normally based on on a fame that was established before the technology came in. Like when Radiohead were the first to experiment with free music, they could do that because they'd already made their first million, as it were.
1: Well, the Stephen Fry example is the interesting one. He does lots of radio ads. um, And uh, I remember when I worked at radio stations, uh, you could... Tempt an advertiser by saying, "Hey, we can get Stephen Fry to read the ad," and they'd be kind of amazed. But actually, just sits in the studio once a week and churns out lots of them. Uh, And so, actually, for him to do local ads in an AI version, if it was of good enough quality and you expected it to be him, that's probably a good deal for him and a good deal for an advertiser or or a radio station. So, I think we'll definitely see uh, people license their voices.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, you're speaking in a session that's primarily focused on podcasts, but the whole day is focused on audio and radio. It's, it's a tricky question, I guess, but what are the other big issues that we haven't already talked about that you think are keeping radio and audi- audio industry execs awake at night at the moment?
1: Well, I think one of the things that we're still very fortunate for in, in broadcast radio is that all over Europe, you know, nearly 90% of the population listen to some form of you know, broadcast linear radio every week, which is phenomenal. I know we're so fortunate that uh, listeners are, care about the medium that much and that you've got such talented producers making it. So that way, I think we're in a very good place. Um, I think clearly one of the things that's changed is consumer behavior uh, as they uh, move their attention to a variety of different things. So in lots of markets, we're seeing kind of some, uh, some some reach declines, but not like massive reach declines, but where there are declines is hours consumed. So the amount of, mm-hmm. say, broadcast radio or single stations that people listen to is dropping. Um, and for a business that makes its money on Hours um, or time spent listening, then uh, that's obviously a challenge. So in the UK, you see lots of broadcasters launching spin off services. So if people are going to switch over, they switch over to one of their brands, other brands. That's been very successful uh, here and lots of other European countries are, are taking that model. There's also a lot of opportunity around um, internet delivered audio, be that streaming or podcasts. Companies like Bauer are introducing ad free internet versions which i think is interesting i don't think everyone will go for it but for ad rejectors that's a good um, a good opportunity to keep them listening um and then i think for linear broadcasters it's about them being able to engage with the on demand world um you know linear broadcasters aren't brilliant at making podcasts They might make shows that are based on radio shows. You see a a, a decent amount of that. But like pure play podcasts, if you look at the charts in lots of places, particularly here in the UK, you do not see um, traditional radio broadcasters being high up those charts and and doing well. Um, And the broadcasters that have got into it have basically hired new people. It's not kind of existing people they've moved across. They've hired new people. So um, I think uh, all legacy broadcasters are, I think, finding that challenge – Uh, A bit different, and particularly because the podcast business model and the radio business model are quite different things. Just Mm -hmm. because you make some audio doesn't mean that you can easily go from one to the other in the same way that if you made like a B2B um, TV advert or video, bit of B2B video, it's not the same as making uh, a high end Netflix uh series. You know, it's it's okay, it's all visual, but it's different kinds of skills. And that's the same in audio. Uh, and I think broadcast legacy broadcasters have to really think about um this new, still relatively new medium uh and how they get the right talent both in front of and behind the mic uh to try and replicate some of the success they might have in the linear world.
0: Mm. Well I'm sure there are various topics we'll be talking about uh in three and a half, four weeks' time. In the meantime, we'll see you in Nice, but thanks for taking time out today to speak to us. And uh, we'll see you in France.
1: Yes, looking forward to it.